be reading together from Romans chapter 5 now. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Our sermon, we're going to be talking about what it means to be reconciled to God. And in Romans 5, this is another one of those great passages where Paul explains what does that mean and what does it look like for the Christian to be reconciled to God. Starting in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we are enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. As we turn to God's word, let's pray for his work in our lives now. Lord, we would pray that you would bless us as we have come to you and we come to you now in a special way to hear from you in your word. We cannot understand what you have said without the work of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present here and that we would see Christ clearly. We would see the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done for us And Lord, that you would change us. Pray that none of us would be able to leave without being touched and changed by the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning our sermon is coming from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. That's Colossians chapter 1. Verses 21 to 23. Hear the word of God. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'm going to ask you a a hard question, maybe even a sad question. 
Have you ever had a, a close friendship or a, a deep relationship and things were going really well? Things were going really well and then something went wrong. And something went really deeply wrong. There was, there was a problem that came up. Maybe there was sin. Maybe there was very serious sin. And now the two of you don't have much to do with one another. We know the pain of what it's like to have those kinds of relationships, those kinds of friendships broken and broken by sin. We know firsthand, really, the damage that sin causes. And if you're like me, sometimes we just want to fix things. We just want to make those things right. But that's actually exactly what our passage is about this morning. Reconciliation, fixing a relationship. And our passage is about the most important relationship that you or I can ever have. It's our relationship with God. That relationship, that fellowship with God has been broken by sin and guilt. And each one of us desperately needs reconciliation with God. We need God's work in Jesus Christ to deal with our sin and to give us a relationship with God. And what we so desperately need, God freely provides. And even more than that, because there are so many blessings that come through our relationship with God in Christ Jesus. So our main idea this morning is that Jesus Christ graciously, powerfully reconciles sinners to God. Jesus Christ graciously, powerfully reconciles sinners to God. As we look at what Jesus Christ is doing, we'll see four basic things. Our need for reconciliation in verse 21. Christ's provision of reconciliation in verse 22. Christ's goal for reconciliation, 22 again. And Paul ends with a needed warning in verse 23. So let's start with our need for reconciliation in verse 21. Remember what Paul has been doing. Paul has actually just told the Colossians that Christ has reconciled all things to himself through his death on the cross. That's what he says in verse 20. And now in our passage, Paul takes that that general point and he applies it directly to the Colossians. Christ has reconciled the Colossians and that is good news. But but the good news of what Christ has done in reconciling them and reconciling us points out a, a really big problem that we actually can't fix ourselves. We need to be reconciled to God because of our sin. Listen to how Paul describes the Colossians. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. You hear those words. Paul is describing a very serious situation. The, the, the Colossians were, were alienated from God. That means they were completely separated from God. And to make it worse, they were actually hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. They were actually actively opposed to God. A description like that is hard to hear, especially because it applies to everyone. 
you and I and every single person are born and grow up separated from God and actively fighting against him. Every single one of us is like this because every single one of us is a sinner. We have sinful nature from Adam and we add to that problem by committing our own sins. It's like what the Bible says, that we have been conceived in sin and then all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's our relationship with God. Our relationship of a sinner to a holy God. And that's the relationship that Paul is describing here. God is holy and he cannot stand sin. And he must stand separate from sinners. That, that's actually why we're alienated from God. It's not just that we pushed God away, but it's actually that our sin and guilt stand like a wall between us and God. But God still takes care of us as our creator because he is a good God. He says he still makes the the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. But none of us, none of us outside of Christ have that personal loving relationship with God that he made us for. Each and every one of us are alienated, separated from God. But again, it's worse than that. It's so much worse because Paul says that we're also actively attacking God. We are hostile in our mind. We are doing evil deeds. Paul begins by focusing on our mindset. We are are hostile in our mind. What Paul means is that in our minds and our hearts, we're actually actively opposing God. Sometimes that opposition can seem very active, you know? We're actually hating God in our thoughts. I don't know if you've met people like this. I certainly have, where it's very evident that they hate God. You don't even have to see what they do. You can tell by the things that they are, that they are thinking about or they express to you that in their heart, they are so actively opposed to God. But opposition to God in our hearts doesn't have to look like that because somebody could, could come up and say, hey, you know, Actually, I don't think much about God at all. That doesn't sound very hostile in mind, does it? It doesn't sound like I hate God. I just kind of ignore Him, really. But that is being hostile in mind because ignoring God is actually opposing God. You know, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that we actually all know God. We know so much about God, but then we work really hard to suppress what we know. That's what ignoring God is actually all about. We are filling our minds and our lives with anything, anything besides God. So opposing God can look like shaking your fist at God, or you can just live like God doesn't exist. But both of those are actually ways of opposing God. And Paul says that kind of mindset, that hostile mindset leads then to evil deeds. What, what we say and do actually comes from what we think about God. I mean, if we're sinners at the core, are you surprised that all we can do is evil? Jesus says that wicked trees bring forth wicked fruit. That's what we see in people who are opposed to God. But again, someone could say, well, evil deeds. You're saying that we're doing evil deeds. Really? But I know so-and-so. You know, fill in the blank here. 
and they're, they're a good parent, or they really help in the community, or you know, fill in the blank with whatever good thing that this person is doing. What does God say? None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That truth there, that truth is so hard to accept. Because what someone does may be helpful and good. It may be something like that. But, but it's coming from a wrong heart. It's coming from a heart that's actually opposed to God. It's not being done in the way that God wants. And it's not done for the glory of God. So even those good things that we see are actually sin. So God is showing us each one of us are in a very serious situation. But so many people don't actually think so. So many people think that, you know, they're actually friends with God. Maybe not close friends, okay? Maybe people who go to church all the time. Maybe you kind of people are, are close friends with God, but I'm certainly not an enemy with God, right? Um, I'm certainly not deserving of hell. You know, I'm not doing all, all those bad things, and I even pray, and uh, sometimes read my Bible, and, and sometimes I, I go to church. Have you heard those kinds of arguments? But let me just say, if you are like that, or if you know somebody like that, that is a very, very dangerous situation to be in. Do not lie to yourself. You are worshiping a false god if Paul's statement here doesn't scare you about your situation. But what do we do when someone says that? When someone basically says, I'm all right, I'm okay with God. What do you what do you do? Well, maybe show them where they actually are with God. Introduce them to the real God, not the God of their own imagination, the God that they've made, but the God of the Bible. To the holy God who has clear commands, who says, if you break even one, you're guilty of the whole law. Introduce them to the real holy God and then see how they measure up. But don't just introduce them to the holy God. Introduce them to the gracious and merciful God. See, Paul moves from where the Colossians were to where the Colossians are now. And we see, second, Christ's provision of reconciliation. Paul says, and you, all these things were true of you, but now he has reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. These words here are some of the greatest, most comforting words that any of us can hear because this is the gospel. The good news that Christ has dealt with our problem, he's dealt with our alienation from God, he's dealt with our hostile mind and evil deeds, he has reconciled us to God, and he's done it in his own death. Sometimes when the the Bible speaks of reconciliation with God, the focus is actually on God the Father, as the one who's acting. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. But actually here in Colossians, and again in Ephesians 2, Paul focuses on what Christ is doing in this reconciliation. He, that's Christ, has now reconciled you. You actually see that that fits with what Paul's been doing in the whole passage. 
Because in verses 15 to 23, the focus all the way through has been on Christ. Paul is reflecting on the identity and the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So it is Christ who reconciles us to the Father. And Paul says that Christ reconciles us to the Father in his body of flesh by his death. You know, in these words, Paul is is really emphasizing the life, the suffering, and the death of Jesus Christ for us. That's the only way we can be reconciled to God. Christ, in his body of flesh, suffered for us. He really suffered in our place. And then Christ really, truly died. And by his suffering, especially by his death, he brought us to God. He reconciled us to God. Let me just show you the grace of the gospel here really clearly. Jesus, Jesus is the very Son of the Father. If there is anyone who has that kind of perfect, deep, close relationship with God the Father, it's Jesus. It's Jesus the Son. And yet on the cross, what does Jesus cry out? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are not empty words. Those are the words of Jesus Christ taking on our guilt and our sin that alienate us from God. And he is hanging on the cross saying those words as he experiences the wrath and curse of God that we deserve for our hostile mind and evil deeds. Jesus, the Son of God, is treated like the enemy of God that each one of us is. And as Jesus dies on that cross, he's dying to do what? To bring you and I into a close, loving relationship with God, his Father. But it gets even better because Jesus is really bringing us into the relationship he himself has with his Father. That's how deep it is. Hear Jesus' own prayer in John 17. This is what he says. I do not ask for these only, he's talking about the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. That is the relationship that Jesus gives us with the Father, just like his own. And that reconciliation, that kind of reconciliation, Reconciliation means so much for us. Let me just give you a few examples. Our new relationship with God is the basis of our prayer life. You and I can actually speak to God now in prayer. That that is amazing. We can speak to the God of the universe and he listens to us now because we are finally reconciled with him. And our new relationship with God is, is, is best experienced actually in worship. What we're doing right now, worship, is the high point of our relationship with God. Every one of our services starts with those opening words from God himself calling you into his presence, inviting you to worship him. Those are the words of a reconciled God. And we right now, As we sit here, we are in God's presence. We are thanking and praising Him, and we are being blessed by Him. 
That's just the beginning, really. The beginning of the blessings that we have in our relationship with God. So many benefits from being made right with God. But Paul wants the Colossians and us to look at something else, something that that seems maybe unexpected even about our reconciliation. We see that in our third point, the goal of reconciliation, again in verse 22. Paul writes that Christ has reconciled you in order, this is the goal, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What stands out to you about that goal? That goal that Christ has in reconciling us. Maybe it was sanctification. Maybe it was holiness, right? He says you you will be holy and blameless and above reproach. Those three words mean being without sin. Actually, being like God himself. But there's more going on here. Because Paul says that Christ will present you like that, holy and blameless and above reproach, before him. And that that language of presenting people before God or before Christ is actually the language of the final judgment. Take Romans 14.10 as an example. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. If you want a more literal translation, it would be, we will all be present before the judgment seat of God. It's actually the same word as Paul uses here in Colossians. And in our verse, it looks like what Christ is doing is he will be presenting us to himself at the final judgment when he sits as the judge. And this idea of Christ actually presenting his people to himself, see that again in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 5.27, so that Christ might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So Paul is saying that the purpose or the goal of reconciliation is so that at the final judgment, we would stand in Christ's presence holy as he himself is. It's at that point then when our reconciliation with God is going to be complete and it's going to be full because we will finally be perfect. And because we are perfect, we will be able to spend eternity in the presence of of our perfect God. This is really the amazing reality that is waiting for each one of us, and actually all of us together as his church. But Paul is quick to give a very serious warning. That's what we see forth in verse 23, a needed warning. You know, all of these great things will be true of us if, Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. <laughs> kind of feels like, Paul, if is not the word I want to hear right now. I don't want to hear an if because you've just said so many wonderful things. And what Paul says here, if this, what Paul says here, seems to throw everything he's just said into doubt or, or maybe to make it, make it seem like it all depends on us. You'll get there if you do these things. What are we supposed to make of a warning like that? Well, first is we actually need to take that warning seriously. Paul means what he says. Paul says that we must continue in the faith. In other words, we must continue to believe. Remember that our faith is always, always active faith. It's doing something. And it's active faith 
that is stable and steadfast. Paul, Paul has a kind of a picture of, of faith like a building. He's got that picture of a building in mind built on that firm and solid foundation with big stones. That's the kind of building that's going to last for years and years and years through all kinds of different seasons, the wind, the rain, the snow, heat of summer. It is going to last. And that's what our faith is supposed to be like, a lasting, resilient faith. Paul also says that we should not shift from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. If you remember back to verse 5, Paul brings up a similar point about the hope of the gospel. And we saw there that the hope of the gospel is actually Jesus Christ and life with him. And Paul's actually going to say something very similar in the very next passage. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So Paul is saying, do not shift away from Christ. Now, part of why this warning is here is because the Colossians were being tempted to do that very thing. They were being tempted to turn away from Christ. But all of us, all of us still need to hear this warning and to live lives like this. But what does that kind of life look like? How how do we do these things that Paul is describing here? Well, we persevere in the faith by using the means that God has given us. By the way, he says he knows what he, he knows what we need, right? And he's actually given it to us. The means of grace, you know, the word, sacraments, and prayer. Use the means of grace. Be in church. Worship with God and his people. Pray on your own. Be in scripture by yourself and in your family. And take advantage also of what Christ has given us in the body of Christ. He's given us fellowship. He's given us service. We do not persevere by ourselves. We are not Lone Ranger Christians. No, we encourage one another. We serve together and we worship together. But at the end of the day, there's no, there's no secret formula here, right? Sometimes persevering looks like slogging. Slogging through a hard day, seeking to obey what you know God has called you to do, relying on the promises of, of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. But even as Paul calls the Colossians to persevere, he actually gives them encouragement. He gives them encouragement at the end of verse 3. He says that they have heard the gospel. It's a gospel which has been proclaimed everywhere, and it's been proclaimed by faithful ministers like Paul. And right off the bat, that, meant, that might not seem like great encouragement, but it actually it is, because Paul is reminding them what they know and what they've actually experienced. If you have time, look back at verses 3 to 8. What Paul says here mirrors what he's already told them. The Colossians have experienced the power of the gospel, God's power. They've experienced God saving them and producing fruit in their lives. And they've seen the progress of the gospel. They've seen it reach Jews and Gentiles all around the world. And they've witnessed the faithfulness of people that God has appointed to spread the gospel. Faithful men like Epaphras and also Paul. The Colossians, day after day, have experienced the faithfulness and the power of God. And actually, that focus, that focus on God's work is really the great encouragement and comfort that underlies what Paul says here. Because God is the one who's actually going to keep us continuing in the faith. And what Paul's really saying in these verses summed up in the perseverance of the saints, right? 
But sometimes we can focus so much on our persevering without recognizing what God is doing. It is going to be God's power, not your performance, that is going to keep you for God's presence. Here are these words from Romans 8. And those whom God predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you hear that assurance? If God has chosen, called, and justified, then he also has glorified us. Our future in heaven is already secure. We'll make it there. But what about the nitty-gritty? What about getting through today? What about getting through tomorrow, next week, next month? What? How is God helping us in that persevering? Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul, in this verse, is calling for perseverance. But he is showing that we persevere because God is the one who's working in us. And because God is the one who's going to be working in you every single moment of your life, every step along the way, every situation he brings you in, that's why you are going to persevere in your faith and make it to heaven. Where does this passage leave us? What are our takeaways? I think one very simple one is the call to believe. You know, I pray, I pray that each one of us, young or old, can actually say these words. Say these words truthfully and know that they describe our life. That I, who once was alienated from God and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled me in his body of flesh by his death. But if you know that those words are are not true for you, or if you know people who would not be able to say those words, if if they've never come to God in repentance and faith and actually believed on the Lord Jesus who has died and have asked him to forgive them for hostility and evil deeds, then I say with Paul, and you can say with equal confidence, we implore you, We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But if you are reconciled in Jesus Christ, and I think that describes almost all of us, if not all of us, think about what that means. I'll just give you one very practical application here. Worship. Our time now can and should be the best time of your week. This is the best hour, hour and a half that you will ever spend in your week. Worship. Why is that the case? Well, worship is so personal. Worship is so personal because right now we are here to fellowship with our God. Just think about that. That He is our God. That you and I are standing in His presence. And as part of that, as we're getting ready to meet with God, actually to meet Him almost face to face, take time throughout the week to get ready for that. This is the best time of your week. Your week should be shaped heading into Sunday. Pray about worship. 
Read scripture, sing, and most especially, be ready in your heart. We can come with so much thankfulness and gratitude because none of us, none of us deserve to be here. None of us deserve to hear those words of blessing from God. But Jesus Christ has done what you and I could never do to bring us to his Father. In worship, we're responding to what Jesus Christ has done. But more than that, in worship, we are actually living reconciliation right now because we are able to come to God, to come to Him as our God, to come to Him as our Father, to call on Him and to be blessed by Him. So I would encourage you that as we consider what it means to be reconciled, reconciled to God and yes, also reconciled to one another, worship. Worship is the most important thing that we can be doing with God and with one another. And it's only going to get better from here. We're just starting out. But in heaven, if you think about where we're going and where worship is pointing us, in heaven, we are going to understand and be able to stand in God's presence forever, doing what we're doing now, worshiping God together. What a blessing we have now and what a blessing we have to look forward to. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, that is an amazing truth of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ to reconcile us to yourself. We are enemies of you without Christ, but with Christ, we can now actually come into the very throne room to stand in your presence and to call out to you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace in Jesus Christ to do that for us. Lord, we pray that worship, when we come into your presence, that our work, even during the week, that all that we do would never grow old or boring, that we would never be tired of being amazed by what it means to be friends with you, to be in your family, to be counted among your people. And Lord, we pray that you would also help us to proclaim this glorious message to the lost, those who are outside of you, who are still enemies of you, who are still fighting against you. Help us to to share the, the gospel of peace, the gospel of love, the gospel of mercy and grace, and bring sinners in. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.